Welcome to Podland. Podland sponsored by Buzzsprout, used by over 100,000 podcasters like us to host, promote and track your podcast and by Riverside.fm, the easiest way to record podcasts and video interviews in studio quality from anywhere just by using a web browser. We're using it now. It's the 15th of July, 2021. I'm James Cridland, the editor of podnews.net here in Australia. And I'm Sam Sethi, the editor of Sound Talks Technology here in the UK. Hi, I'm Rock. And I'm Zach. And we're the co-founders of Squadcast.fm. And we're stoked to join you on this episode to talk about Squadcast version 4 with our collaboration with Dolby, recording with 10 participants and a lot of awesome features. Hi, I'm Nick Hilton from Podo, and I'll be on later to talk about my new documentary podcast, The Town That Knew Too Much. Podland's a weekly podcast where Sam and I delve deeper into the week's podcasting news. Now, you've been working very busily on a report. Do podcast apps use your podcast description to help people find new shows? Should you put your guest name in your episode title? You've been working with a guy called Mark Stedman. Tell me more about this report, James. Yes, I did. I worked a lot with uh, Mark. This is what Mark had to say about the data that he discovered. I found that most podcast apps will search through episode titles, so it's best to make sure you make the most of them. But it's also clear that you should concentrate on a good website, too, to help people find your podcast. So he and I did a ton of work around putting weird and wonderful words into our podcasts and then checking them on a bunch of different podcast apps to see if we could find them. And it turns out that if you spend a long time on your descriptions for each individual show or your show notes, as you might call them, then actually very few podcast apps actually uh, bother to have a look at that. So a bunch of really interesting data. It took us about three weeks to do. uh, And that came out in Pod News a couple of days ago. Fundamentally, talking about podcast SEO, right? Now, one of the comments we had offline this week, you and I, was about Google having a character limitation in the title of about 180 characters, because I was stuffing our titles with too much. So, (laughs) 110 characters, exactly. There you go. It's a big thing. (laughs) So if you can't put it into the title, and the description isn't being picked up, What's the solution? That's one of the problems. If you look at by market share, as I did a little bit of work with the maths, then pretty well any podcast app will look at the episode title, but virtually none of them look at the description. So you are a little bit stuck. You basically have to make sure that you get as much into the title as you possibly can without making that title too ridiculous. And Google's sort of maximum is 110 characters-ish. And so it's probably a good idea to keep under there. So I think we are a little bit stuck. The benefit, of course, is if you own your own website, as Mark was saying, then of course it'll appear there, but it won't necessarily appear in a search in a podcast app. Okay. But when I look at Spotify or I look at Apple, which is where most people are probably going to search, there isn't a character limitation. So we've been putting quite long titles in. And they appear quite clearly. Maybe it's not such a bad thing after all. It does mean that the app quite often will scroll through the title, which isn't necessarily a a magic plan, but it's certainly a way around it. And I think not every podcast app will even search your episode titles, but most of them do. And it's one of those interesting things. Okay. Head over to podnews.net to read the full report, I guess is the best way. Now, moving forward, the British Podcast Awards were held here in the UK last Saturday. Matt Deegan was the organiser of it. And unfortunately, 
I was due to go and thanks to COVID and the NHS track and trace app, I was pinged. So I had to isolate this week. Now, that really annoyed me. But the winners were announced. Fern Cotton won the podcast champion award. She's a TV personality for her efforts to open up the mental health conversation. James, did you have a look at some of the other winners? Yeah, I mean, there were a bunch of winners. The Listener's Choice, which is the one that um, everybody votes on, was Red Handed, which is a true crime podcast, which came runners-up in the Listener's Choice last year and were the winners this year. So that was good. Quite like the fact that the British Podcast Awards has an award for the best international podcast, i.e. the podcast that doesn't come from Britain. Uh, and that ended up being won by Revisionist History, which is Malcolm Gladwell's one. And the podcast of the year, which ended up winning a bunch of different awards, was Vent Documentaries, which is a piece of work between Vice UK and the London Borough of Brent. Not really the partnership that you would expect, but there we are. It's lots of young people in there being asked to report on the stories that they want. And you ended up with a bunch of stuff around identity and love and justice and all that kind of stuff. It looked like a really great award. Well done, Matt. And I think uh, he might be on the show next week with you. I, I, I haven't asked him yet, but you're not going to be on the show next week. You're you're away. <laughs> so it may be Mr. Deegan. It may be someone else. I'm thinking it might be somebody else. <laughs> We'll Ooh, see who we can get. I'll tune in. Thank <laughs> God this podcast's going uphill now. So, uh, yes, that should be fun. But, uh, yes, both Matt Deegan and Matt Hill, of course, are working on the British Podcast Awards, and that thing goes from strength to strength, which is a good thing. You've been speaking to another British institution, haven't you? Yeah, I, I caught up with Jimmy Lee Rhyme. She's a PhD research fellow. She's working with the BBC R&D, looking on the future of podcasting. And I asked Jamili what her project was about. My PhD project is all about what's next for podcasting, specifically looking at how to make podcasts more immersive and more personalized using AI-driven audio production tool. I know that's a mouthful. Basically, that means that I'm trying to see how different AIs could be packaged and repurposed into tools for podcast producers, creators to make either the production side easier or the end content more enjoyable for the listeners. And how long have you been working on this project? I started back in November 2020. Okay. So it's still my first year. And so what are your initial thoughts or conclusions? So it's still really early in my research. I'm very much trying to gather as much data as I can on what people are expecting, not just what I want to see in podcasts. So I think we all have our opinions, but the job of the researcher is very much to make sure that their opinion isn't the only thing that transpires. So I am trying to define what's a podcast, first of all, which is okay. quite important for someone who's doing research and podcasting to know where to go from, set some boundaries on what the project is going to be about, what kind of tools we can be using. I've made a long list of tools of potential ways, potential roads that podcasting could go and could use AI in creative ways. And right now I'm at a stage where I'm interviewing some creators and producers, sound engineers to know what they think about these possible tools and how they could be applied to podcasting. Okay. So I already use AI in my podcasting production so i use a tool called descript out of uh, yeah. the us i love the product and it, it revolutionized the way that i edited prior to descript i was using a combination of audacity or adobe premiere 
and it was just painful. He was pulling hen's teeth. Sorry, I was going to say, I'm quite familiar with Descript. I use it, actually. I used it to make the demos that I present, um, right. and it's a product that I enjoy using. I think streamlines production of audio and you know video content very straightforwardly and easy to use. I'm a big fan of Descript as well. The other tools that I've played with and used, there's one called Lately, which again allows you to put your podcast into their AI and the AI will then look at what is the most interesting element. So one of the biggest challenges with all podcasts, I'm sure you know this already, is if you've got a long one hour podcast, then you've probably got five or six golden nuggets in that podcast that you want to get out into public domain. And what I would say is manually, I was having to clip those up in Descript and then put them into Twitter or put them into LinkedIn and try and bring people back to the podcast. But actually, when you put it into Lately, it's a bit like Hootsuite. It automates the discovery of the interesting parts. It creates clippable elements that you can just then put on an automated schedule. I also found another tool that does exactly the same thing from headliner.app. And so those are the only AI tools that I found so far that work for me in creating and distributing my podcast. Have you come across other tools? So there's a few that beyond editing or helping to market or share a podcast that could be useful, but all of them are pretty much not applied to podcast yet. And that's where I come in, where I try okay. and use these AI technologies and see how they could be used for podcasting. So I'm not going to give too much detail because this is what my study is all about. And I want okay. to get immediate reactions about it. You could do some things like nonlinear narratives for podcasting using artificial intelligence. How would that come about? How do you integrate this within a podcasting workflow? Sound recognition for elements in the editing, but also on the user side, there's a lot of things that can be done with AI and applied to podcasting, but the, the gap hasn't been bridged just yet. So I, does that make sense? So you talked about nonlinear paths and one of the previous interviews I did was with a senior researcher at the BBC called Ian Forrester, who works in the BBC R&D. And Ian had told me about some work that the BBC had been looking at, which was to allow you to basically choose your path. Is that what you mean by non-linear? So yes, it's the kind of choose your own adventure setting where you can go on different paths. It can be used for storytelling, choose path A and go to this story or this type of content. Or it can be used for more subtle personalization. So you can also view it as just different content that would get to you. It could be different soundscapes that are playing in the background or a different mix that ends up on the user's device. So the choice doesn't have to be restricted to storytelling choices. It can be applied to production decisions as well. And is this also something that will work with location and time of day? So I think actually that's the thing that Ian Forrester works on, which is called adaptive podcasting. And I think there's a couple of very interesting articles on the BBC R&D website about this, how using 
location and general preferences and metadata can be applied to tailor the podcast content to the user. But there's some research being done by Ian and his team already on this, and it's very interesting. The BBC also had a very clever Alexa skill, which again, you could argue is a podcast with non-linear capabilities. So if I ask or enable the Alexa skill on the BBC, I can get read the headlines and then I say, Alexa, tell me more. And then it will basically go off and give me the full story. And I guess that same technology could be applied to podcasting. Certainly here at Podland, we are a news coverage of what's going on in the world of podcasting. So James and I might shorten down the whole podcast and have three or four interviews and maybe just headline, you know, we're talking to you about the future of podcasting. And then somebody might say, I want to hear the whole interview. So is that an example of how you see maybe the future of podcasting? Definitely. So variable length and variable content to cater to the user's preferences is something that a lot of people think is important in the future of podcasting. I think there's there's a future for it. Everything is becoming more personalized. Anything that you can use to get the people's attention and to offer listeners the content that they want to hear rather than filler content that they prefer skipping. It's a good step. So it could definitely be something that happens as an outcome of my project. Very interesting. Jamie Show, head of digital at commercial radio in Australia, has suggested that podcast consumption in the future will be only three minute long episodes. I think the average length of the podcast is what, 35 minutes, something Mm -hmm. like that, which is quite far away from three minutes still. So we have a long way down to go before we get to three minutes. But um, who knows, maybe that is what people are after and people prefer listening to short snippets of audio content rather than full programs. I, I think it's a mix of what people want and what platforms are pushing and distributing and recommending the most. A similar thing happened on YouTube with the length of the content back in 2005. It was very short videos and then it was 20 minute videos and now it's around 10 and you have this variable length of the content that people prefer that's a mix of the actual attention of the listeners and what the platforms see fits best their their strategies. So we'll see. So how can people get in touch with you to help with some of this research? So right now I'm conducting a study that's called Collaboration with Podcast Creator for Next Generation Podcasting. I'm looking for participants who are interested in the future of podcasting to talk about how AI can be implemented in their workflows, what their job is, what they see for the future of podcasting. And I'm open to anyone who's interested to take part in the study and they can contact me by email. I don't know if I should spell my email out if you think that's the best. I'll make sure it's in the show notes, but if you want to spell it out as well. So... This is my York University email address. So that's jir506 at york.ac.uk. How long is this research going to go on for? When do you think you'll have it finished? When will it be published? Things to be done by midsummer, let's say the end of July, to give myself some time to do the analysis and everything very nice that happens after you're done with the study. I'm hopeful to have a substantial data so that I can produce a paper from the research that I conducted. As with any research, it's very much dependent on the type of data I gather, if it's conclusive or not. So I want to scream victory before it has happened. (laughs) But no, I'm very hopeful. And the interviews that I've had so far have been incredibly interesting. I am hopeful that I'll get to publish a paper and if not a paper, just 
a blog post about what I found. Thank you so much for your time. Please do get involved if you're interested in the future of podcasting and help shape where podcasting is going. Thank you very much. So the future of podcasting from the University of York and BBC R&D Research and Development. Um, that was really interesting. I wonder whether the future of all podcasts is going to be choose the ending. Let's choose the ending of this show. So <laughs> that would be an interesting plan. <laughs> the one other interesting part was a guy called Ian Forrester, who's a senior researcher at the BBC R&D, who I know quite well. He's the one who's really looking at this sort of ending thing. But what they're looking at is also using location as part of the ending. His example was you might be walking around a museum. So it uses Mm. your current location as well as what you're listening to, to try and inject at the same time different options for you. And there's a bunch of that going on in terms of advertising as well. So A Million Ads is doing, of course, much the same sort of thing we uh, spoke with a million ads a while back and npr is doing a bunch of location-based stuff in the u.s with consider this which is their afternoon podcast where depending on where you listen you hear local stories from um, the place where you are which is uh, really clever so i'm sure that we'll end up seeing an awful lot more of that kind of uh, stuff and it's really interesting to see the bbc and the university of york jumping in on this and uh, seeing what they can learn So, going from an old institution to a brand new institution, it seems Netflix finally is getting into podcasting. They've hired the first head of podcasts, Najeri Eaton. She's joined from the head of content at Apple Podcasts, and she was also at NPR. James, do you know Najeri? So, I thought to myself, I'd like to know what Najeri was doing at Apple over the last year or so. So, I went searching for it. If you do a search for her name, and 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 Apple, you end up with one Google hit, one Google hit. And that's when she was a judge at the Pulitzer Prize for Audio Journalism, probably a job that she got while she was at NPR. She had a great career at NPR. She made a great name for herself. And there's plenty about that online, but there is literally one Google hit for her role as head of content at Apple Podcasts. And I thought to myself, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how Jake Shapiro's getting on. Jake used to work for Radio Public and PRX. He's a royalty in terms of podcasting. I wonder how he's getting on because He's been at Apple for nearly a year. I did a Google search for Jake Shapiro at Apple Podcasts as well. I found one thing that he's spoken at, and it was essentially outlining Apple Podcasts' paid subscription. He's not actually put his head above the parapet and spoken in public at all. Now, he's a brilliant guy. He used to guest regularly on podcasts. I've shared a very spicy Cambodian meal with him. He's a really intelligent guy. But what I think is very clear is that Apple is hiding people like Jerry, like Jake away, and they're not using them to the best of their ability, if you ask me. It was a real shame to actually see that as soon as you join Apple, you essentially become completely invisible. And that can't be good for your career. So no wonder that she has jumped ship to Netflix and she's thrilled. She ended up posting a really excited tweet about it too. Yeah, she was saying that (laughs) as head of podcast, she's really excited to at Netflix. 16 years ago, I watched three DVDs from Netflix uh, a day while working the late night shift at university. My obsession for storytelling has taken me to all kinds of places, but she ends it with, this is truly a dream. Well done her. So I think that's a wonderful thing. And uh, hopefully we will hear more of her over the next year than we have over the last year. 
Sounds like Apple's like the men in black. You enter there and that's it. Everything's gone. Yes, I think so. And I completely understand. But I think it's just so unhelpful. And surely a company is made up of the people who work at the company. And so why would you hobble uh, a company in that way? So it's a real shame. Mm. But there's some great people who work there. And it'd be great to hear a little bit more from them. Talking of companies who don't hide people away, Libsyn has added... Uh, a list of services that you can post to. One is GeoSavan, which is India's largest music streaming service. I believe that they also support Ghana as well, which is the other one. GeoSavan has more than 100 million monthly users. Uh, and Rob Greenley, friend of the show, said that he sees the partnership as a key opportunity to expand interest for podcast creators and listeners globally. But I think a really useful thing, it just shows that there are other people and other places to get your podcasts into than just Apple and Spotify. And both GeoSavan and Ghana have been really successful for many podcasters who've ended up going in there. 125 million people in India speak English. So it's a tremendously large audience for you. So well worth having a look at. Indeed. Do we know of any other hosts that actually support going into that market? Oh, yes. Libsyn's quite late, if I can be honest. There have been quite a lot of other companies who already support GeoSavan and Ghana. Captivate, who I'm a, an advisor for, do. Uh, I believe that Buzzsprout do. A bunch of these other companies do. But I think that's the interesting side, is that actually there are more of these organisations. So only today I posted um, a link on how to get your podcasts into Samsung podcasts, which is a thing that you can only get in the US and only on certain Samsung phones. Why not? Add your podcast to as many places as you possibly can. That's a good plan. I think the trick is to make it really easy and simple from a podcaster's dashboard and routes does that in a really good and easy way, I think. Now, I also had an interview this week with the founders of Squadcast. Now, Squadcast is another way of recording your podcast remotely. They recently launched version four, and I asked Rock and Zach, what were the key features? So there's a bunch of features that we can definitely go into about what makes Squadcast V4 so special. But I think the big headline is that it's a unique collaboration with Dolby. So Dolby is a, a name that I think is very familiar for folks that have gone to the movies, Dolby Sound, Dolby Vision, all those things. But being able to bring the power of Dolby's technology, which we feel is premium and synonymous with quality, being able to give podcasters access to that technology was a huge uh, part of this update, something we're really excited about. It's one of Dolby's, at least to our knowledge, first times uh, entering into the podcast space, which is something that they've expressed to us as being an interest of theirs. And so happy that Squadcast is leading the way in that regard. And they've been extremely great collaborators to work with, which is another awesome thing because they're a company that's been around for so long and they're public and huge, but they have really been extremely receptive to the feedback that we've been sharing, what we're hoping to accomplish, what kind of people podcasters are. They're really interested in that. So having a collaborator that's very receptive to that stuff was really interesting and, and unique and actually caught me by surprise, to be honest. I thought we would just be more a customer vendor relationship, but it, it's been way more than that. So I've been pleasantly surprised. So do you, what, knock up on the door? Hey, guys, do you fancy doing something together with us? Or did they come to you? How did the story unfold? I'll, I'll tell this story because I think it's pretty funny how it happened. I, besides working on Squadcast, I'm a big Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. And so I like to go every day. And Zach 
uh, told me about this event that Dolby was having in San Francisco. And he's like, I want to go to this event. I think they're going to release something that we could probably use for Squadcast. And I was like, how sure are you? I don't want to miss jujitsu, man. And then he was like, I think you need to go rock. And then I, I'm so glad that he was firm with that request because we went he was right. That's why he's the CEO of The Visionary. And uh, we've made the absolute most of that event by making some connections that has led to this collaboration here. So Zach, now that you've got Dolby rolled into it, how do customers, I guess, users of Squadcast get to use it? What difference do they get to hear? There's a couple different things that that we've been proud, as Rock said, to bring from Dolby's technology into the Squadcast experience for podcasters and content creators. Dolby Voice is a setting as an option that people who connect and record on Squadcast can have things like loudness normalization or background noise reduction is the big one that people tend to hear. Our head of design, Alex, is a lover of coral and has a bunch of saltwater tanks. Those things make noise. They're in his background. And when we have Dolby Voice turned on, you don't hear any of that. So that's really nice if your guest is in maybe a noisy place, but it's completely optional. A lot of audio producers, they want to hear the actual microphone. And, and if there is anything in the background, they want to get it out of there. That's why it's a setting and we big on listening and Squadcast. The other one is mastering. So of course, Squadcast, we focus on delivering really high quality audio and video recordings, source quality, raw, and all of those things. But people do post-production to edit their episodes. What we've done is collaborate with Dolby to take a lot of the filters or plugins people might run that audio through to do things like loudness normalization or desibilance and gain control in a non-destructive way. So you still have the source quality recordings from Squadcast, but let's say you listen to Evo Terra and other industry OGs like yourself, and you normalize to negative 16 luffs. So things like that, we can just say one click and you get a second version of that file so that it's uh, time savings for you in post-production. So we've been having a lot of fun with that. And the last thing I'll mention is because of some of the network uh, resiliency that Dolby has built into their conversation platform that we're proud to bring to Squadcasters is given us the ability to go above what was uh, previously the limit of four connected participants in a conversation. And we took that up to 10. So one host and nine guests can all connect and record together. Everybody in ISO tracks, all the same quality, progressive upload, backups, all that good stuff. That was a surprise that we threw in there uh, towards the end uh, to really add value for our customers. So we got up to 10 people on the call. Dolby, what else? Come on. What else did you put into that? version four. I bet you snuck a little couple of Easter eggs in there as well. There are. So we added screen share and screen recording, which is a third form of content that creators can collaborate on now. We have audio, we have video, and now we have screen. We also done a lot of things to give visibility into, we're big on transparency. So I can see what microphone you're using, Sam, or Rock can see what microphone I'm using. And that's stuff that just isn't going to come to life in Skype or Zoom and is important to creators who are using the tools that we have access to. So we brought that same level of transparency to everybody's network connection. We can see a signal strength you would be used to on your cell phone for every participant. And that helps give confidence into the reliability of the connection and everybody's internet can fluctuate in different conditions. So that's really great insights. And then that's during the conversation. But proactively, we now have something unique that people coming into a session, a recording session on Squadcast can do a quick sound check, record for seven seconds, that'll automatically play back the audio and video, 
give you insights into your connectivity strength and give you a thumbs up that we're all good, ready to go for the recording. So you know what you sound like, you know what you look and you can choose to toggle your camera off or your microphone off or switch that around and be confident going into the session. That's some of the things that that I'm really excited about, I think in particular, and a lot of cleanup and love and craft have gone into this update as well. We added pronouns to our, our names, so be inclusive. We improved notifications. There's a lot that I can give you a link in the blog post. This was I think by features and by volume of changes, this was by far our, our biggest update. Okay. Now, the, the market space you're in is very competitive. You know, Zoom is at, I'm not going to say it's at the bottom end, but it is at the mass end. The quality isn't the highest, but it, it, it does a job. And it's trying to push up the the hill a little bit by adding HD quality. And it's trying to add in some of the features you talked about, but they're, they're below you. But you do have competitors, Riverside FM, StreamYard, people like that. So how do you see yourselves evolving going forward? What sort of things are in the pipeline of you planning now? I guess I know this is unfair. You've just launched version four. And I'm telling you, come on, give me version five. What's in the can? But you know, how do you keep competitive? What are you thinking about? Uh, we're super big on listening and asking uh, the creators that we serve that exact question. What else would you like to see from a platform like Squadcast? And I think that's culturally unique to us. And I love that the customers that we serve uh, are essentially speaking for a living. So we need to be really great listeners. And there's a lot of things that we have in our pipeline, and we're always planning for the far out future. It's one of my favorite topics, so I'm glad you asked. It can be a bit frustrating not being able to bring these things together to life all at once as much as we'd love to do that. But we're really excited about our mobile apps. That's something we've been really open about. We support all the browsers except Safari. I think that's unique to Squadcast, uh, to your point about the competitive landscape. And that includes on Android. So we've supported mobile on Android through the web browsers there for close to two years now. I think two years this month, actually. That's something we're really excited to bring like proper mobile apps for Android and iOS that are going to be a complete experience of the Squadcast platform, not just the guest experience or not just scheduling or getting your recordings, but the whole thing. So we're really excited to bring that to life. And some of our technology we're proud to say is patent pending. And that is going to give us and our customers uh, a lot of benefits and advantages to using the Squadcast platform on mobile. Things like progressive upload make it so that we don't need your iPhone to store gigs and gigs of wave or mp4 files right we can get that up to the cloud and uh, and you can keep on recording for as long as you like so that's something that's unique to our platform so it's been really interesting because you're right sam our landscape for remote recording has become extremely competitive in the past year which to us on some front is like okay that is a little threatening but at the same tone it's this is a good thing for the industry and our category because it shows that it matters and it wasn't always like that we were viewed as this little niche tool that was part of a, another niche that is podcasting and we're starting to see the opportunity is much more significant but when it comes to competition i i i think we're embracing it because it's bringing out the best in us but we're not trying to compete on being a better mousetrap or just adding features for features. Really, I think what it boils down to is we are the innovators in this space. A lot of the features that are now 
common, such as backups, progressive upload, which is patent pending. So I'm not sure it's apples to apples comparison from the other options, but all of those things and a few other things, that's what's expected and normal now. But Squadcast was the first to do that. And I think we're just now learning that we're not doing a, be- a good enough job of vocalizing that and, and planting our flag on all those things. So I absolutely think we'll continue to be innovators in the space because we're, not, again, not trying to build a better mousetrap. We're just trying to be ourselves. We're trying to be authentic. We're trying to be different. And I think that's really what it comes down to is our authenticity. Zach and I, of course, are huge fans of the podcast space, but we're also independent creators ourselves. We have a podcast between two mics, so we live and breathe this stuff. And I think that is a differentiator. One of my observations in the in the market is, is trends. So for example, Buzzsprout have started to add in audio mastering. Mm-hmm. Anchor is now free as a hosting service into Spotify. Descript adds the ability to one-click publish to multiple platforms, LibSync or Buzzsprout. Headliner allows you to take clips and audiogram create them, but also create segments from What I'm trying to say is that I'm beginning to notice that what I call the technology escalator, where what used to be a unique service hosting is now becoming a commoditized service. Do you find that one of your biggest challenges is going to be how do you integrate more of Squadcast into the workflow of podcasters? Is that something that's on your thought process? That's absolutely initiative that we have coming up because we understand that our place in the podcast production workflow is the middle, is that production, that recording, but we want to play nicely and empower our customers to be able to seamlessly go from one step of the workflow to the next. Because we're right in the middle, there's that pre-interview. So we have a scheduling system baked in, but we'll start to make that a little bit more uh, robust by including integrations with scheduling tools like Calendly. But on the post-production side, we also have plans to offer integrations for file sharing services like Dropbox and Google Drive. And then some of the uh, post-production tools you mentioned, having something be automatically sent to Descript or even to other places. Um, So we absolutely have that in mind. And really, I think that's where focus really comes into play here. We get asked a lot, what's next? Are you going to build an editing tool? How about hosting? And In our opinion, those are pretty solved problems. I get why people think that we would just want to expand the offering and keep it all in one place. But what we've seen is that we still don't think anyone's really nailed the remote recording of making it extremely easy and seamless to where people are like, why would I even want to record this in person anymore? It's way better and easier for Squadcast. And I think we're close. So one of the other challenges around, I I guess we've seen it, Clubhouse, Twitter Spaces, Spotify's acquisition of Locker Room, renamed Green Room. And there's plenty others that are going to be coming around up here. LinkedIn's got a, a solution. So this live audio capability with a social network wrapped around it with a recording function okay fully understand that the quality of the recording is going to be down low but that's just a time thing they will increase the quality over time how do those platforms and that real live recording as new entrants into your space affect you at all if at all I'm not sure it is a time thing, Sam, because all of those people recording locally is what it's going to take to get the quality we're experiencing now on Squadcast. You would need some of our IP to do something like that. What we're thinking about is the exact opposite, where rather than creating a social network, the creators that we serve have worked really hard and are working all the time to create amazing communities for their audience. So providing a way for the audience that the creators we serve have connections with to be part of the 
the recording session on Squadcast and have uh, have engagement opportunities there. Podcasters are very hungry for audience engagement opportunities. It's not something that comes as part of the podcast platform by default. You have to go and seek it uh, in a Facebook group or on Clubhouse, for that matter, or uh, a lot of different places. That's awesome. But we want to provide a unique experience for the audience to engage as people are recording. Big caveat here, we never want this to be a distraction to the conversation that we work hard to have a flowing dialogue on the Squadcast platform. But we think there's a sweet spot there where we can provide creators uh, a new way to engage with their audience and also have uh, potential for monetization opportunities like you would have with a live show. Like our friend Drew Ackerman has the Sleep With Me podcast here in the East Bay alongside us. And before the pandemic, he was starting to ramp up doing these live shows and having a lot of success there. The other end of that spectrum is Pod Save America. They sell out these venues and have live shows. So I think that there's opportunities there for both audience engagement, but also monetization for creators. And I think that'll help with the continued professionalization of podcasting. Okay. So putting your other crystal ball hats on then, where do you see the podcast industry going forward? What are your thoughts? So Zach pitched me on the idea that became Squadcast. And for me, it was really easy to get excited about because it was rooted in helping podcasters. Back in 2016, when we had this conversation and really started to make those preliminary steps to, to building and creating Squadcast, it, it seemed inevitable that podcasting was going to become more mainstream and only a matter of time. But as you may remember, Sam, even back in 2016, there was still uh, questionnaires of people didn't even know what a podcast was. So they, they would pull people and get back 30, 40%. Didn't even know what a podcast was, let alone where to find it or what it was about. So that a was mind way. blowing to us, but nonetheless, we've come a long way. So I do think like Zach said, that we're seeing the further professionalization of podcasters and independent creators. An article that I saw, shout out to James Cridlin and the good work that he does with Pod News. I forget the author's name. It'll come to me in a second, but they basically compared what's happening in podcasting similar to what happened in indie filmmaking. That it's a hard job. It's not easy, but there are paths to monetization in a major way because there's big money that's coming into it. And so we absolutely expect that there's going to be, there already is, but there's going to be even more of an explosion of independent media created within the next decade. Thanks to technology that's leveling the playing field Squadcast, to make it super easy where independent creators can compete with these large media companies with the quality of their show. Zach, any thoughts from you? I, I definitely agree with the, the professionalization. That's already happening. We've already seen that momentum and it's gaining steam. So monetization opportunities like I described, but also recurring revenue for a premium content on Spotify and Apple Podcasts is an, another mainstream way other than advertising that, that a podcasters can monetize and deepen those relationships with their audience. So I think that there's a lot to look forward to in that regard. Also, the community is a really big part of what makes podcasting special and eager to continue investing into the community because I, I don't think anybody wants to see that kind of disintegrate as podcasting grows to uh, greater and greater scales. But it seems pretty magical that people can get people's attention for these long-form conversations. And in a world where people's attention spans are just getting shorter and shorter, and I think that filmmaking is another one that, that comes to mind where people will sit and engage with this content for hours and hours. 
We have a lot of vision at Squadcast for what we can do to help the creators really rise to these occasions and continue professionalization uh, of their show. If you're going to have an ad relationship or you're going to engage with your audience with premium content, the quality really needs to be there. At that point, your audio is a product. So people really care the user experience, the listener experience of that. And we're really excited that we can serve so many people who are already succeeding at that today. But just more and more of that, I think, is uh, is really exciting. And Rock said, we lower the barrier to entry quite a lot these days. But until we can say, like, okay, Google, record a podcast and connect me with Sam and Rock and record that. I think that's something I'm eager to see. We have a blog post from several years ago where I hypothesized about that. All of these smart speakers are also very high quality, smart microphone arrays. And people have access to those technolo- that technology where you don't really think about this little thing on my shelf as a microphone that's probably on par with this. So I think that the, the pieces are, are there and it's up to us as the technologists and innovators to, to really glue them together so that people can have these great experiences. Excellent. I know. I I fully agree with you. It's got to get simpler, but more inclusive into what we can do with this stuff. Now, before we go, how can people get involved with version four? We'd love to help out wherever you're at with your podcast journey. We're available at squadcast.fm. We're on socials at squadcast.fm. We're very involved in the podcast community. So we're happy to help even if you're not recording on Squadcast. We have webinars, we have a bunch of resources to help people get started and make quality content for their V4 is a web app. So everybody gets the latest and greatest every time we roll a major update. We've already had two minor updates roll out since then to work in some feedback around little things. I mentioned the pronouns before, making sure that's even clearer for people to make use of. And we're really eager to gain feedback from the community about how they're using mastering to save time in post-production. Or now I can have panel discussions with up to 10 people and some producers on the call. So there's all these use cases that we're really excited to bring to life. I know Our friend Brian Barletta was eager to do screen recording, right? So there's all these use cases that are really exciting to us. And we'd love to help out with your show wherever you're at. And uh, if you're going to be a podcast movement, so is our team. Look for us at all the community events as things start to come back. On 3rd of August there. Shocker, Brian asks for new features. (laughs) Never expect that. that. (laughs) Shout out to Brian. Shout out to Brian. I think he's on every podcast everywhere. He's just on everything. Zach Rock, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on version four. Rock and Zach from Squadcast FM. We are, of course, sponsored by Riverside.fm, which is jolly good. And I have to say, one of the things that I'm spotting about the the, the Riverside platform is just that it is becoming just a little bit more smart looking. Quite a lot of the raw edges with some of the interface has been uh, tidied up an awful lot, which is really good. The new media board is rather lovely, so you can um, do things like this if you want to. Powered by Riverside FM. And all of that. So it's a very smart and cool thing. The competition in this space is always a good thing. Many Congrats to Rock and Zach, and many congrats to to the folks Riverside FM uh, as well. Now, another friend of the show is Wooshka. The podcast host themselves, 
claims it's the first podcast host to recertify for the IAB podcast guidelines. Now, wake me up when you tell me what's going on, James, because this sounds dull as ditch water. There is a there's a set of rules out there called the IAB podcast guidelines, and they basically work out whether or not that particular download is really a download and should be counted as a download. That's what the IAB do. And there are quite a lot of podcast hosts out there that are IAB certified, which means that they've had their code looked at and checked to make sure that um, what they call a download really is a download. Now, everybody is certified for version 2.0, with the exception of two companies. And uh, 2.0 was the earlier podcast guidelines that were changed at the beginning of this year. But uh, companies Libsyn and Captivate and Buzzsprout are all compliant with the IB podcast guidelines version 2.0. The first company to certify for the 2.1 standard, which is just a little bit tweaked, was a company called from Germany called Julep Hosting. And Wushka is the first podcast host that's actually gone to the IAB and said, we've already got version 2.0, but we would like to certify for 2.1, please. Here's all of our code. Does it look right? And I think it's good. I'm wondering whether everybody has to recertify as part of their deal or whether or not you can just sit on your hands and do version 2.0 for the rest of your life. I don't know. So it might be an interesting question to ask the folks at the IAB about that. I do know, though, that Triton is using version 2.1 for their podcast ranker. And their podcast ranker, the change between version 2 and version 2.1 essentially pulled audience figures down by about 10%. And some of it's very boring and to do with IP version 6 and everything else. But it's just something worthwhile keeping in mind that even if a company is IAB certified, you should probably check that they're IAB certified to version 2.1. And if they're not version 2.1 by the end of the year, then I think we should be asking questions about podcast hosts. Now, talking of numbers dropping, a couple of weeks ago, we reported that the iOS app has had a bug in it, or maybe a feature. Yeah. We, I don't know whether you, which way you want to call it, which wasn't reporting the number of downloads. Now, it looks like the latest version 14.7 is going to be dropped, I believe. Yes, there, there's a couple of things going on. There's an upgrade to macOS, and there's also an upgrade to the iOS uh, operating system. iOS is obviously what you run on an iPod or an iPod phone. And it's that that we need to wait for that bug to go away. And Apple have said it's a bug, by the way, regardless of whether or not we joke around as to whether it's a feature or not. <laughs> it is definitely a bug. That's what Apple say. And Apple is never wrong. So we're expecting that. I'm guessing in the next couple of weeks. What I did notice is that the new version of macOS has got up to uh, RC status. That's release candidate, which is basically, this is it. This is finished. We just want to check that everything works. And uh, my guess is that we'll see that relatively quickly for ios as well okay i'll be ready to download it when it's ready now i have a little bit of a uh, bugbear with apple still with their channels so this week i was trying to share the river radio channel that i have with my team internally and i went into the ios app there is no way to share a link to your channel the only way to find a link to your channel is to go into the podcast connect go down to the bottom and there is a minor little link that you can find that you can then actually use. And that is the only way to find the link to your channel. Otherwise, from a 
public facing view there is no way to share your link to your channel with listeners now i did find one way of sharing that link and that is use the apple podcasts app on your mac no one does obviously but if you were to use the apple podcasts app on your mac then you can right click the channel icon and copy the link from there so that's another way of doing it but another way of doing it sam okay is to visit your podcast on Pod News, because I have done some hacking. I have no idea how long this is going to last because I'm using a very definitely not official API. But nevertheless, if you go and visit any podcast on the Pod News website, if it is in a channel, and we've updated it in the last two weeks, and that bit's important too, then you'll see the podcast channel linked and you can link straight to that as well from there. And it's super frustrating that Apple haven't got that in their public API, and I've got no idea how long the hack that I'm using is going to run out, but I'm monitoring all kinds of things, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, it's been quite interesting playing around with that for most of the day, I have to say, today, (laughs) Sam. I'm sure it's a worthwhile exercise, but we will see. Excellent. Apple just put it in as a feature so that people can sh- yeah. actually subscribe it to the ch- API. Yeah, and subscribe yeah. to channels. Make it easy. Okay, mm. moving swiftly on. I noticed this week, James, you're having a little bit of a uh, meltdown, I think is the way to look at it. Your passport is sitting next to you, burning a hole in your pocket. You can't go anywhere. So you've decided to write about the rest of the world instead. Now, You started off by writing that the number of US Latino podcast listeners has soared. Why is it soared, James? Let's start off with that. So this is US Latino podcast listeners, and it is up by the number of listeners is up by 44% year on year, according to new data from Edison Research, uh, which is really good to see. 36% of Latino adults are now listening every month. And uh, the Latino audience is a uh, very special audience for American advertisers and worthwhile chasing. Lots of new data from there, which is good. There was also data from Australia as well, wasn't there, Sam? It seems you Aussies, I can call you that now, love your smart speakers. Have you got one, James? Are you the holdout? No, I've got 400 million of the things. There's one just over there, so I have to be careful what I say. But yes, new research, again, from Edison Research, they've been busy, and Commercial Radio Australia show that, well, a quarter of people own one here in Australia, about a third of people own one in the US. We're a little bit behind the US uh, in terms of that, but way, so way of front, in front of the US in many other reasons. So that's all okay. The research doesn't mention, doesn't mention podcast consumption, but 41% of people say that they use it to get the news and even higher say that they use a smart speaker to get music as well. And so obviously some of that is going to be linked into both radio and to podcasts in there. Now, keeping the theme of going around the world in podland, the Russian Podcast Festival is going to be free on YouTube between July the 16th and 18th, so imminently this weekend, with more than 70 speakers. And the Paris Podcast Festival is going to take place in October, they've announced. But their podcast competition is open now for entries until July the 21st. Their competition is open to anybody who makes podcasts in France or anyone internationally that makes a podcast in the French language. So if that is you, then bon chance. 
and go and enter. I don't really know very much more French than that, but still, but there we are. To Scotland, a new podcast studio has opened in Wishaw. I had to look on a map where Wishaw was. It's a little bit southeast of Glasgow, and it is called a town in Wikipedia, so therefore it is not very big at all. And a bunch of data from Spain as well, or from Spanish language podcasters. The data from 3,063 participants showed an increase of people listening on computers, again, like you in Australia, on smart speakers. It's perhaps mm. a result of the pandemic at home, but again, it shows that podcasting is growing around the world. We've even had some Arabic interest as well, James. Yes, I spoke at an Arabic podcast conference last week, which was really good, really exciting to be part of a very different feeling virtual uh, conference. And the first Arabic sports podcast network, which I'm going to mispronounce as Studio Al Jumhawa, has launched seven new shows covering a number of sports. And that's basically shows around the English Premier League and NFL. I I don't think that they're mad enough in terms of AFL, the Australian Football League, but they are covering quite a lot of that kind of stuff. So again, really interesting to see just the growth of podcasting going on around the world, which is really good. Now, before we move on, you also ended the keynote, I think, at the African Podcast Festival a couple of weeks back. How was that? Because I haven't caught up with you on that one. Yes, in fact, that is tomorrow as we record. So I'm moderating the Radio Days Africa, the final day of that, which is uh, tomorrow. But you can go to radiodaysafrica.com and catch up on all of the speakers. You might guess that it's a, an awful lot about radio, but it's just as uh, useful for podcasters as well and worth a look at. So worthwhile having a look at that. And I just did something for a podcast uh, conference yesterday, the Nappy Content Cast conference, which was an American one. And again, talking to a bunch of folk like Netflix, but not Netflix, about how they're using podcasting and stuff like that. If you're a, a Nappy member, that's N-A-T-P-E, uh, then you can go and um, watch that on there. Sorry, my spelling has gone off the Richter. Nappy, N-A-T-P-E. I know. I, I actually said, when I started it, I said, welcome to the N-A-T-P-E content cast. And they said, no, it's nappy. And I said, natpy. And they said, no, it's nappy. <laughs> okay. As in diaper. Okay, that's good. I do love the American Sundays. Yes, <laughs> right. no, exactly. Now... Coming back to Blighty, I had the chance to catch up with Nick Hilton. He's launching on the 21st next week a new podcast called The Town That Knew Too Much, which is a really interesting podcast. It's about Cheltenham, a town in the middle of England. Couldn't get more British if you tried. And it's basically where GCHQ is based. Mm. And it's a fascinating podcast series that he's launching about how... Basically, Cheltenham is where all the double agents and all the spying goes on in the UK. But the veneer of it is this beautiful English countryside and beautiful town set in the middle of England. So I caught up with Nick and he told me all about it. It's a documentary about a place. It's a thematic sequel to a podcast I did last year. I was inspired with that story to tackle the kind of classic documentary format. It's almost a biographical format, but to make the protagonist a place, a town, rather than a person. So this series, The Town That Knew Too Much, is about Cheltenham. It's, which, you know, many people will know is a Regency town in the Cotswolds in England. It's synonymous with sort of middle class, very respectable, 
But at the same time, it's also home to GCHQ, which is Britain's kind of spy centre. And that kind of is the fundamental conflict at the heart of the series. It's examining how a town, which could be a kind of synonym for social conformity, plays home to all these spies. And, And because through time, there are moments where those two things come into conflict, where kind of things slip through the gaps, double agents, suspicious deaths. And then there's also all the history of every town in Britain. We're lucky enough to have a rich history that almost every town has an interesting history. There's all sorts of interesting things in Cheltenham, which kind of run through the story of GCHQ. So that's basically what the series is. It goes back right to the beginning, through Regency England, through Spa Mania, the madness of King George, through to Bletchley Park, the foundation of GCHQ, and then it ends with Edward Snowden and those explosive leaks about the NSA and GCHQ, which... You mentioned a few of the people. You forgot to mention, obviously, Lewis Carroll and Alan Turing. Alan Turing, I guess, is particularly interesting right now because of the £50 note and... He was obviously key at, at Bletchley Park. And Bletchley Park w- was not in Cheltenham, it was in, in Milton Keynes, but it went on to become GCHQ. So it's very much part of the story of GCHQ, it, it, in many ways the story of Cheltenham. And Lewis Carroll, the looking glass of Alice through the looking glass, was supposedly in Charlton Kings, which is where Alice Liddell, who the original of Alice, her, her grandfather, who was Dean of Christchurch College, he was living there in Charlton Kings. So it has all these kind of historic links as I think a lot of towns that have a kind of rich and long history and storied history you know royal visits and aristocracy now I believe your girlfriend comes from Cheltenham is that where you chose Cheltenham I mean because you could have chosen as you said any town within Britain with such rich history why Cheltenham just because of your girlfriend or any other reason no, uh, that is just the reason. <laughs> I did this first series about East Grinstead, which very near where I grew up. I went to school there and it made sense because I just knew it was such an interesting story. And then after that, I was in the market for a sequel because I thought, you know what, I need to capitalise. I need to strike while the iron's hot and I have some listenership. So I started thinking about what I wanted to do for a sequel. There's not enough. I had told that story. You can't flog a dead horse. So I wanted to start thinking about it. And I had this kind of working thesis that every, almost every town in Britain has enough interesting stories if you can get into the kind of the detail of it you can unearth enough it just happened that I had made most of that that podcast in Cheltenham because I had been staying there with her family and we spent three or four months there so I'd been working on that podcast but also walking around the streets of Cheltenham Uh, she grew up a thousand meters probably from the donut it just seemed like a no-brainer then because it satisfied all my um, requirements in terms of having this sort of underbelly, this kind of double life, being able to look at the surface and the kind of subterranean. And I just had access to it as well. Like it, it's very hard to en- approach a story when you don't have any access to the place, you don't know the place, you don't have an emotional route in. And and the, this podcast opens with the two of us going up onto the local hill and looking down at the, at the town. Like I wanted to m- make sure that it had an emotional connection because that was quite important to the previous podcast. I think in terms of the credibility locally was that people felt I had a connection with the area. So I'm using her for that purpose, but she consented to it. So that's it. Oh, good. Now, Podo itself, your production company, how long have you been in podcasting and, and why did you move out of journalism? Because you, you famously wrote for The Guardian, The Independent, you've written for The Spectator, The New Statesman. So a real journalistic background. So what made you move over to the podcasting? I didn't really move per se because I did most of those, you know, most of the writing I've done has been done whilst at the same time as being a professional podcast. I'm lucky 
that I've been a professional podcaster for pretty much all my career because I did various things after university. I did various bits and bobs and I did mainly multimedia stuff and thought probably the video was the way I would go with things because it had been something I'd been interested in. But after doing, you know, it was various internships and kind of short contract stuff, I needed a more solid job because I was working at that time, working in a bookshop. So I got hired as the broadcast editor of The Spectator at that point when I was probably 22, 23, something like that. And I, ideally, they wanted me to do video and podcasts. But very quickly, it became apparent that they didn't have the resources and they didn't have the team, basically the size of team, either either in terms of journalistic per- personnel, but particularly in terms of technical personnel, to do anything of the scale required to make it viable. But they did have the ability to do podcasts and they wanted to do a daily podcast as well as a weekly podcast. They wanted to launch new podcasts to represent the different areas of the magazine. So that job, basically, even though it wasn't designed to be that, it became a podcast exclusive job. And that was so I did that for two years in-house. And that was how I became a kind of professional podcaster pretty much straight away. But I don't see the distinction between journalism and podcasting. My podcasts are very journalistic. They're very written. They're very researched. They're very interview heavy. Basically, all the things I would do for feature journalism, I do for the podcast too. I just happen to then read it out and use other people's voices directly. But all the approach is the same. And I've tried not to be someone who's either resentful about not being a splashy print journalist, because you can do such interesting things in terms of storytelling and journalism through podcasts. I don't think it needs to be one or the other. So then I left Spectator, started Podo. At the same time, I, or maybe six months later, I joined the New Statesman as their podcast editor, which I did for two or three years up until earlier this year. And I just run the company side by side. And it was only last year that I started doing my own stuff. And that was because I'm just cheap talent. That was really the only reason. I just had a bit of time because the pandemic set in and suddenly I wasn't socialising or anything. And I thought I'll do something productive with this time. And I'm here and I know what I I, want to do. So how do you go about putting a budget for something like this? And how do you go about thinking of the monetization of this podcast? Do you have goals or do you just put it out there and see what happens? What's your process? I... Do I was I would say I didn't really put together a budget for this, didn't really put together a budget for the previous one. And in terms of the monetization, I'm not gonna monetize it. It's the reality. I obviously could put advertising on it through any of the many people who run podcast advertising, but I have used these podcasts, the previous one and this one, I will use them as a calling card, both for, for my production company and for me as a writer, as a broadcaster. And I I try to find a balance about what I would consider a good financial outcome. And I just think that unless we were talking about figures that I don't think were going to be available to me for one or two thousand pounds up front, which is all that the CPMs could really reliably generate. For me, it wasn't worth the imposition that advertising would have on the listener. I would rather the listeners had a clean listening experience. Now, I'm obviously in a luxurious position where I can make this podcast on my own dime and I can spend some money on it and I can spend a lot of time on it and not necessarily need to make any direct money out of it. And I know that a lot of podcasts aren't in that position. But for me, podcast advertising is such a complex situation. It doesn't feel right to have a ton of programmatic or even post-read adverts on a podcast list. When I'm trying to make it, just for people's entertainment. So I'm not going to run advertising on it is the long and short of it. And I'm not going to make any money from it unless someone wants to, you know, buy up adaptation rights or do anything else with it. But that's down the road. I don't worry about it up front. So I don't spend very much money on it. 
is the key. Okay. Well, I'm I'm a big advocate of actually. I think advertising in podcasting is awful, and I think it will die out. Uh, I think there's a move swiftly towards subscription-based podcasting. I think you know people are going to get used to paying for quality content, and I think Apple's just turned it on, so people are a little bit you know, behind the curve. But I think in a year, I think people will be prepared to, you know, pay you $1.99 an episode or something like that. Would that be something that you would consider going forward for the next version of a podcast? Uh, I would treat every project as discreet and take a bespoke approach to advertising. And I, I do run a lot of podcasts with advertising. This is just a specific thing where for me, it doesn't feel right. I wouldn't rule out doing a subscription-based model and as it gets integrated into places. I, I'm always a bit reluctant to do it because... I do still see podcasts as a free and open medium and that people have their choice distribution platforms, other people have access to it without requiring a television license or requiring a Netflix subscription. So I, I like what podcasting used to be, and that's kind of important to me, and I am relatively ideological about this. So I don't know, but if the money was right and asked me to do it, I think all my principles would go hang. But I, I, at the moment, I don't really have any plans to do that. Um, but the thing that would lure me would be the idea of upfront cash. I'm not really interested in earning one ninety nine every time someone wants to listen to my podcast. But if I had the money upfront to make certain editorial choices and commit different amounts of time and different amounts of money for different things, then I would probably be seduced by that. Okay. Going back to the actual podcast itself, the town that knew too much, what was the most surprising thing you learned from actually the research you did into the podcast? Or what was the most interesting guest you had on? Let me just think for a second. Personally, I'm excited by the middle episode, which is a sort of intermezzo. The previous podcast I did, the town that didn't stare, was six episodes long. I think I personally am a big evangelist for short series with short episodes. This one's going to be seven episodes because I wanted to do a middle episode which is something different and that's the story of the wishing fish clock which is a fish statue in Cheltenham but it's also the story of Masquerade and Kit Williams which is a story I've always loved if, if people don't know it's a treasure hunt built into a children's book called Masquerade and there was a golden hair buried under the earth this is in the late 1970s and I've always found that kind of fascinating and romantic and Kit Williams is a really interesting character and I have always also wanted to do a podcast puzzle hunt a treasure hunt and I had this idea a year or two ago of doing something using lots of different internet mediums including podcasting and creating puzzle hunt and that's something i might revisit in the future but anyway i found a team of software developers who make puzzle hunts and um, i found them through a client i make a, a podcast for their, their their software company they all work for and i basically said do you want to have a go at this kind of building a puzzle into the into this documentary about masquerade and so that's that's going to be really interesting to see how it's received by the, by the public. I really hope armchair puzzlers, because they're a great community and I've got to know them a little bit, enjoy it and find it challenging but doable. And, and that's just something I've never seen it before in, in in podcasting. And it will have a real world prize that's, you know, that you can win at the end of it. That was quite exciting. I didn't know. In terms of the best uh, guests, I don't know. I mean... Jeff Dyer, who's a brilliant writer, brilliant nonfiction writer, grew up in Cheltenham and, and we just had a kind of long conversation that's going to be interspersed throughout the, seri throughout the series. It's not about any one thing, but he's just a fascinating guy. And I know that some people just think one of the great writers living today. Who else is good? There's some great, this Snowden stuff has, I've got a lot of Ewan McCaskill, who was in the room with Snowden and Laura Poitras when that kind of all went down. Alan Rusbridger, who was editing The Guardian, reflecting on that. Sir David Oman, who was running GCHQ in the 90s. It's been, there are some good guests in the series, I think. And 
My favourite guest is probably Peter Pickin, who is a retired police inspector who ran Special Branch in Herefordshire at the time that Geoffrey Prime, the Soviet spy, who's a central figure of the series, even though it's not about him, his story is unfolds over multiple episodes and it frames a lot of the discussion. Peter Pickin was uh, was working on this case, kind of a, a local policeman who kind of got sucked into dealing with this massive international story. And it's just fascinating to speak to someone who was just so close to history in that moment but other, otherwise you could walk past him in the street and not not know that anything has <laughs> happened that's probably how he likes it i think i have to say i think he loves the glamour of the story it's just the biggest case that he ever works by a hundred times it's just such an unusual case for a local police officer not involved in espionage or anything to have to deal with so he's probably my favorite guest of the whole series but there are some great guests last question for you nick Given you know your time in podcasting, and podcasting is having a renaissance right now, where do you see podcasting going? I don't know. I don't know about this renaissance, Sam. To be honest with you, I've long been a advocate for podcasting in the future becoming a B medium, a subsidiary medium of audio streaming. I think that has to be the direction it goes. It's not really live radio, but something more discourse. I've not really been satisfied by Clubhouse as or Spotify Green Rooms as a kind of solution to that. They, they lack the, the spontaneity that I think is required to make it work. And I would probably look to something more Discord or Twitch, kind of things that have come out of gaming culture to be the A medium for which podcast is a subsidiary B medium, a, a way of redistributing and reusing your content as TV has done, as film has done as music has done, as everyone has done. Podcasting is a B medium masquerading as an A medium. So that's where I, uh, I see it going. At the moment, I think last year we had, for me personally, I can only speak to my own experiences, but I think it generally holds up for the UK podcast scene. We had a pretty good year because events had a terrible year and I think a lot of budgets were redirected towards podcasting that might otherwise not have been in. And that's my space in the market. It's more of a corporate um, level. You need a healthy corporate ecosystem before you can build a healthy editorial ecosystem. The BBC will always be able to fund some podcasts. Spotify will always be able to fund some podcasts. But most of the production companies, bigger ones than mine, are making 50% plus of their money from corporate work. And so all the pitches that they do for BBC all the and Spotify and Amazon or whoever, all those pitches that fail, as well as the pitches that succeed, are being subsidized by the corporate ecosystem. It was really good last year. I think it's getting bit difficult at the moment. I'm starting to see that people have adjusted to the work from home lifestyle. They've realized that you can't make people engage with these podcasts in the same way you can make people engage with internal meetings, with conferences, events. There's no open bar in podcasting. And obviously, anytime that finance gets tough, marketing budgets are one of the first things to be slashed. We saw it in 2008. We'll see it again. I can see a belt tightening that I think will hurt the corporate marketplace. And I think that will have a have a slowing effect across the podcast ecosystem. So I'm not wildly optimistic. I know that I'm seen as a podcast gloomster and a pessimist, and I'm not a, an evangelist of podcasts in and of themselves. I don't think there's anything special about podcasts. They're just a medium for telling stories, any other medium. But I think there's a lot of things to be happy about in terms of the, the, the money that's coming in. But I think there's a lot of things to worry about as well. Nick Hilton. Can you remind everyone where they can find this wonderful podcast that's coming out next Wednesday? You should be able to find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just search for The Town That Knew Too Much, and it's out next Wednesday, 21st of July. And you've also got a URL at thetownpod.com as well. That just redirects to my medium where you can find episode notes and more. Nick Hilton, thank you so much for your time. Good luck next Wednesday. I'll be listening and be certainly glued to each episode. Thanks, Sam.
Nick Hilton talking about the town that knew too much. BBC Radio Gloucestershire is based in the same building as GCHQ in uh, Cheltenham. So it's this beautiful estate building that you were talking about. And they share the same canteen. So you can imagine that, you, <laughs> that you're there and you're walking in and you've got all of these shady looking spies at one table. And then you've got the morning show from BBC Radio Gloucester on one of the other tables. It's the most incredible thing. I have been there once, actually. I went there for a Christmas party. I have no idea why I was invited, but I went there for a Christmas party and they put on a show and it was all very good fun and uh, but very strange going and basically this beautiful estate house in the middle of Gloucestershire. There we go. It's a, a podcast that I should listen to because I'm sure that I would enjoy it. The town that knew too much. Now, let's move mm. on a little bit. The bit I like most, Tech Corner. This is where you get your sleeves rolled up. Uh, and you have got your sleeves rolled up this week because you've been playing around with Podchaser's API. What have you been doing with that now? So I used to show rankings and things like that and hosts and guests and all that kind of stuff from the Podchaser API within Pod News podcast pages. And uh, a couple of months ago, I deprecated that feature while I rebuilt all of that and finally got round to understanding how the new Podchaser API works. It uses a thing called Sparkle, and Sparkle is a way of doing database queries um, over the internet, and it's very clever, but my goodness me, it hurt my head. Not helped by the fact that some of the documentation was, well, I think it was pretty clear that I was the first person to be doing any documentation, any <laughs> developing on that. So it was uh, a little bit of fun. But anyway, it's all back now, which is nice. And, and I've learned an awful lot about Sparkle. Ask me anything about Sparkle. No, I no. won't. But where can people go and see the implementation? So if they wanted to look at what you've done, where would they go? So if you just visit the Pod News website and do a search for, I don't know, Podland, for example, then you will see that there are some ratings in there. Possibly, I say that, I'm not entirely convinced that uh, certainly ratings for Pod News. Let's see if anybody has bothered rating this show on Podchaser, because it would be slightly embarrassing if I say that, and actually nobody has actually done that. So let's have a quick look, and let's see. No, we've got four ratings, and Excellent. our score is... <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, yes. Mum. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> five out of five. So there you go. So that's lovely to end up seeing there. And it lists me as host, you as host and editor, and Chris Stevens as music composer. I wonder where all the, those Satoshis were going. Now I know. Now, moving on to other people who are doing stuff in the tech world, we are talking about our friends, of course, Adam Curry and uh, Dave Jones. They've been working on something called cross-platform comments for podcast episodes. Tell me more. So when Joe Rogan moved from YouTube, which is really where his podcast was, over to Spotify, a lot of people really missed the fact that you could go into the comments section and talk with other Joe Rogan fans, if you can imagine such a horrible thing. One of the things that Podcasting 2.0 is wanting to do is to have comments for individual episodes and individual podcasts, but make those comments so that they don't lock you into one particular podcast app. So make those comments so that they work everywhere, whatever podcast app you're using. Um, they're making it sound very complicated by using words like activity pub and matrix and other exciting things. And I think they're wanting to use a blockchain or something, but still. But the idea behind it, at least, is very exciting. 
And I would really like there to be a open way of being able to comment on podcast uh, episodes and that sort of thing in whatever app anybody's using. So that would be really cool if uh, they can get that up and running. You used to be able to do cross-comment platform uh, links with pingbacks and trackbacks. So I don't know if that has any value in it at all. I did ask Dave Jones many weeks ago about the ability to comment on a episode and then have that pushed outward to somewhere on Twitter with a mm. time link in it. That would be cool because then people could then comment on multiple different places, but it all linked back to the source. I think one of the things that has confused matters is that there are some people in the podcast index social group who really want live chat among podcast listeners, which is one thing. And there are other people in that group that want comments that live forever uh, in there. And I think it's just been a bit of a bun fight over who of those who of those thought that they had the better idea. But uh, personally, I'm really excited for comments that live forever. And so, uh, weirdly, that was the one thing that SoundCloud used to do really well. Mm. So if you were listening to a track and then the drums came in, you could comment where the drums came in uh, and say, brilliant drumming, or it might have been. Hopefully, we'll get to see a bunch of that sort of thing now we were talking about apple earlier apple has made some clarifications to new show submissions with the apple podcast connect by default when you submit a new show it will appear in the api so your show will appear in other podcast apps too but if you want to opt out you'll now be given a confirmation message to ensure you understand that the show will only be available on apple Podcasts. i think that what they're doing is that they're fixing some of the really quite poor ux in the apple podcasts connect to make it really clear if you uncheck this box you will not appear anywhere else and there's a, another piece of ux that they're also fixing which is when you when you want to launch a new podcast it asks you whether you want a podcast with or without an RSS feed. And of course, you want one with an RSS feed because you want to plug in Buzzsprout or your favorite podcast, which is probably Buzzsprout, into the system. And so that, again, was a very complicated piece of UX that they added into the Apple Podcasts Connect. So they've spent some time making that simpler and easier to understand. And I think that's a good thing. So a hand clap to you, Apple, even if it is a slightly slow hand clap for messing it up in the first place. But didn't we talk about Spotify last week and also they offering a similar thing, which is the ability for not having your RSS? So this is Anchor. They are talking about uh, you will have to check a box to turn on an RSS feed. Good, because that will probably mean that some of the rubbish that's in Anchor won't get onto the rest of the podcast landscape. So that's all fine. What I have noticed over the last month is there's been significantly fewer new podcasts being added into Apple Podcasts. I don't quite know why that is, because as far as I can understand, Anchor hasn't put that new policy in place yet. So I don't quite understand that one. It may just be that Apple Podcasts Connect is just too complicated. And that may be the reason why Apple is making a couple of UX changes to make it easier and simpler. I don't know. But uh, worthwhile keeping an eye out in terms of the amount of new shows which is being added onto Apple Podcasts there. But I think it's been an interesting week because you've had Apple Podcasts doing a little bit of tweaking there, getting rid of some of the more stupid things from their platform. But also Google has also got rid of the most stupid thing from their platform 
platform where Google's algorithm thinks that it knows better than you do where your podcast RSS feed is, you can now override Google. So you can actually go to Google Podcast Manager and say, no, Google, this is the RSS feed for my podcast. And this is the one that I want you to use forever. So congratulations, Google, for after two years putting that into place <laughs> so that we don't have to deal with Google's slightly weird algorithms uh, in the future. Lots of these little tweaks all add up to a better product. So thank you to Google and to Apple for doing that. Excellent. So that's it, James. What have you been doing in Podland this week? I did a presentation in French yesterday for a client who is in France. I say I did a, a presentation in French. What I did is I recorded a presentation in English and then it's gone to a translator to have some French subtitles added to it because I am that monoglot. Um, looking forward, obviously, tomorrow to Radio Days Africa and uh, taking part in that and um, doing an awful lot of talking with people at weird times of the day at the moment with some new projects and things for the future. So it's all going well. Are you allowed to leave the house yet? Probably another day or so, thanks to the NHS Track and Trace, which the government has now said it's only advisory, so it's not against the law for me to leave. They just advise me not to leave. I don't know if GCHQ are listening. I may leave the house. I may come back in secretly. It really annoyed me because I couldn't go to the Brit wards with Matt. And uh, my radio station, also, we had to close down because we had a COVID outbreak. And so we had to move every one of the 40 presenters to work from home, which has been a challenge, to say the least, this week. Yes, I'm sure. Absolutely. And uh, things aren't going particularly well in terms of the COVID here in Australia as well. Nobody here in in Australia is vaccinated, which is helpful. I think we've got 4%, which is not particularly helpful. There's currently quite a lot of COVID running around around uh, Sydney, so everybody's stuck at home. So if you're stuck at home and listening to this in uh, Sydney or indeed in Melbourne, which is having a, a few troubles at the moment, then good luck and uh, hopefully you'll be out soon. Here in Brisbane, we've been told that we have to wear masks for another week. I hate wearing masks because it fogs up your glasses. What they should build is they should build glasses that don't fog up, Sam. Could you fix that if, for next week? Will I'll go okay? to Newcastle. I'll tell you, they've got fog on the tie and I'm sure they've invented fog-free glasses. <laughs> Very good. Well, there we are. And with that with that reference to old, who was it who sang that? It was Gaza who sang yes. the cover version, and it was Lindisfarne who sang the original of Fog on the Tide. I would play a clip, but I'm not allowed to. We should probably wrap it up. So that's it for this week. You can come back to Podland anytime. Follow us in your podcast app, or we're at www.podland.news on the web. If you've got any comments or questions, please tweet us at Podland News. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, let us know. And also, if you'd like to rate us now that James has got the Podchaser API working, please do so. Yes, go to podchaser.com and search for Podland News. That would be good. If you want daily news, you should get Pod News. The newsletter is free at podnews.net. The podcast is in your podcast app or your smart speaker. Our music is from Ignite Jingles. We are hosted and sponsored by Riverside.fm and Buzzsprout. Please tell your friends and colleagues about Podland. We'd love if they subscribe by following us. And we'll see you all next week in Podland. But I won't. I'm away. So you'll have a special guest. 